an ambitious project to gather information from thousands of military personnel files of those who served in the New Zealand military in World War I and the South African War needs your help. Their files have been digitised by Archives New Zealand, but international researchers and citizen scientists are being asked to do the time-consuming work of transcribing the information. Measuring the Anzac started back in 2015, but due to the volume of files needed to be transcribed, and more recently the pandemic, only around 12% have so far been done and dusted. The Zooniverse online citizen science webpage is the main outlet for the team spearheading the project. Ivan Roberts, who's based in Minnesota, is one of the project leaders. I got involved. We're doing a study of uh, long-term uh, change in Māori and Pākehā health. And uh, it turns out that one of the uh, ways that you can measure um, health consistently over the long term is by looking at people's uh, people's height and weight. And height is in some ways the most, uh, the most useful. Uh, a lot of people will probably think that sounds uh, a little strange. And you're absolutely right if you're thinking that your height comes from your, uh, your mum and dad. Uh, but about 20% of the variation in people's height comes from environmental factors so um, whether you got sick a lot in childhood uh, whether you had enough food to eat and so at a very aggregate level we can see from changes across time and differences between groups uh, whether people are doing sort of better or worse in terms of nutrition uh, and health over a very long period of time because height's pretty simple to measure. Uh, you find it in lots of sources and military records are a really great source, uh, particularly in New Zealand where we had so many men serve in World War I uh, and World War II. Uh, and then for social science, uh, what we're interested in is sort of representative samples. And because we had conscription for large parts of the war, particularly in World War II, we get a fairly good approximation to the, uh, to the male population population. And for studying Māori, large numbers of Māori served in particularly in World War II, uh, but also in World War I. Uh, and the differences between uh, World War I and World War II are sort of helpful. The Māori contingent in World War II was uh, broader, uh, more representative in World War I. It's a little more selective. And so in terms of measuring change, that's the direction we want to we want to see. Our project, Measuring the Anzacs, which focuses on the World War I soldiers, where the uh, archives have digitised all the files, uh, we've now moved uh, into <clears throat> sort of a different uh, sort of aspect of the study where we're looking not just at the height that people had when they enlisted, but at how people did after the war. Uh, and so from the data uh, that we collected before measuring the Anzacs and then uh, things we've collected with measuring the Anzacs, we're now looking at things like post-war suicide, writing a paper about the experience of World War I prisoners of war uh, and how they did when they returned uh, to New Zealand. The personnel files of life during their military service, you must have come across some really fascinating stories. I mean, in many ways, it feels like we've never known so much as we do now about the First World War, but often they're the big stories, you know, they're the campaigns. But these individual personal personnel files, they, they must contain riches. 
They do, yeah. And they uh, they contain an amazing amount of information. Uh, they also contain a lot of silences. Uh, one thing um, that we sort of started out thinking we'd be able to identify is whether uh, people were sort of volunteers uh, or conscripts. And, and that is not actually um, always marked clearly in the file. So we know when uh, conscription started. And so for our, for our research, we sort of take it as like this was the date conscription started after that, essentially. Like everyone is coming in under a conscription uh, regime, uh, and so the meaning of, of volunteering uh, changes. Um, another thing which is uh, sort of fascinating is that, uh, and I think New Zealanders um, are surprised to hear this, is that it doesn't, neither World War I or World War II files explicitly mark who is Māori and who is Pākehā. Uh, we're very used to being asked those kinds of questions today. Certainly when I present on this to American audiences where uh, race uh, and racial identification is, is very central to what the government is doing, uh, they're surprised to hear that there's no sort of race or ethnicity classification uh, in the files. So yeah, it is this interesting mix of, uh, of detail, but also then uh, silences on, on key, key things. And you get a mix uh, of information. If someone has, has an event happen to them, they get hospitalized, they're a prisoner of war, that generates a lot more um, documentation uh, than if you uh, if you have a sort of fairly uh, uneventful term of service. I came across measuring the Anzacs on Zooniverse because Zooniverse is something that I um, really enjoy doing and actually had a bit more time to do over lockdown. So I was wondering yeah. whether you had yeah. a, a peak of people, you know, maybe more people <laughs> finding you over that time or whether the pandemic's actually made things harder to reach out to the public. Uh, it made it harder and, and easier. So we've had a sort of a different um, profile over time of when people have engaged. Uh, one of the things that uh, a lot of the projects on Zooniverse, which is a big citizen science platform, uh, for those of you who are new to, new to it, uh, have found is that there's often a lull over Christmas um, and, and New Year, and particularly for a project like ours where you know New Zealanders are, are at the beach um, and things like that. We also get a lot of... Uh, traffic on measuring the Anzacs from uh, from the UK and Ireland uh, a year ago uh, last uh, winter in the Northern Hemisphere uh, we just noticed that it really continued and we had people on the talk boards I think on Christmas Day uh, which was something we had not noticed uh, previously so definitely uh, we, we, we noticed a dif- different sort of pattern uh, of time more uh, school uh, students writing in and saying they're doing this as part of uh, online learning uh, so that's been very positive uh, what is been a little bit of a challenge is that um, we haven't been able to get back to New Zealand. I'm based in Minnesota uh, now and uh, really share our relaunched platform uh, with people in person and uh, the opportunities that it brings. I guess my basic question I perhaps should have asked earlier is what does this transcription involve? People listen to this thinking, well, you know, I've got a bit of time. Um, I, I could help out with this. What are they working on and what's involved from their end? Yeah, great question. So, um, so that just to give you an overview, at first of the military personnel files, um, there's about three and a half million pages for 140,000 files, about 120,000 different people, because some people have multiple files uh, as part of this sort of administrative you know, bureaucracy. So that's about 30 pages on average per file. Only a few of those are of interest to us. We're looking 
uh, at the ones that are collected consistently, which is the, um, the history sheet, summarizes their uh, term of service. Uh, the statement of services, <clears throat> which gives information about transfers between units. It doesn't uh, get, always give information about where you were, so like going into battle or something. It's more about the sort of administrative transfers between different units the, of the army. We also collect the information uh, on their attestation, which is when they enlist, um, their personal characteristics, who their parents were, things like that, their employer, uh, what their occupation was, uh, whether they were willing to be vaccinated, which I guess is a sort of very timely uh, timely question uh, that they were asking back then as well, and then their medical details. And we also look for information uh, on death during service or death after service, um, for particularly for World War One, there about two-thirds of the men we can find their date of death uh, somewhere in their file. And that's tremendously helpful for our research uh, in terms of then sort of narrowing down when we're looking for them at other, other points. So with those five uh, key pages, what we have people help us with is sorting out the pages. There's a lot of other things uh, in the file. So we have, have people very quickly say, what kind of page is this? Uh, and then people uh, transcribe. Uh, we have different sort of workflows, which gives you an opportunity to enter the, the right information for the, for the right form. Uh, it's carefully broken down into very small discrete steps so that if you come along uh, and you just work for a little while, you're still contributing. The power of citizen science is that we're building every little bit counts. Uh, and so if you come along and you do a couple of minutes work, we can build on that, even if people do not complete the page that they're working on. We have at least three people do a page, and then we um, go through a process of checking uh, the different transcriptions uh, to see which is the sort of consensus uh, one so that we can get a, an accurate record um, of what was actually written written on the page. I imagine different handwriting may be, uh, may be a challenge. And also, I mean, I've got my uh, grandfather's and my dad's war records and mm. there are a lot of abbreviations that I've had to go and find out what they mean, you know, that were commonly yeah. used, understandably commonly used in them. So you help out with that sort of thing? Yeah, we do. We have uh, we have information available to help people learn the common abbreviations when you know what the abbreviations are for units and for places and, and things like that. It's then easier to say, oh, okay, that, that handwriting looks unfamiliar, but I know that this is a place name and it's likely to be in England or France, and therefore it's likely to be this. Uh, so with those resources, uh, and also just a little bit of uh, a little bit of practice, I've taught taught a lot of people about how to read old handwriting. And there really is no substitute for just starting slowly uh, and getting your eye in a little bit like cricket. You get your eye on the handwriting and um, I'm mixing my metaphors here, but you get your eye in and then you are, then you're able to do it. And so when I've been uh, in New Zealand and going to schools, it's really been amazing with an hour in the classroom uh, I guess year uh, year ten or eleven, they pick it up. Even though handwriting is not nearly as as common these days, within half an hour they're like, "Oh yeah, I know, I know this place." Like they'll recognize place names, particularly if the the person comes from around the area uh, that they are um, they are based in. So people pick it up pretty quickly. We have found um, that uh, citizen transcribers are really, really pretty accurate. Citizen transcription does an amazing job of working with, you know, difficult, uh, difficult to read documents. 
Evan, when did uh, measuring the Anzacs formally start and how far through are you? Uh, so we started in 2015 and uh, we were uh, humming along for about two or three years and uh, then we're kind of a victim of our own success. The uh, the way that citizen science uh, transcription works is, and all citizen science projects work is that they're trying to allocate images to people to look at based on ones you haven't seen before. So we get three, in the case of transcription, three independent uh, transcriptions. As we got more and more data uh, completed, about sort of 10,000 uh, files had been partially uh, partially transcribed, we had millions and millions uh, of lines in our database um, and about uh, about a hundred thousand images uh, in the uh, in the data, um, and so that that was uh, a lot for the computer to essentially search for and try and allocate to people that were coming along. Like, here's one that you haven't seen and needs attention. So we kind of paused at that point, rebuilt the site uh, over sort of 2019, and then we uh, relaunched, uh, sort of soft relaunch uh, without doing a lot of publicity in um, uh, in late 2019 and had grand plans to sort of re-engage and say, hey, we're back, you know, the site site is working again and stable in 2020, and then the the pandemic hit, and uh, that was kind of challenging for finding time for public uh, public engagement uh, activities. So the long and short of it is that we're about, so we've got about 10% of the uh, files uh, transcribed with the initial version of the site. And now we're sort of slowly working through, uh, probably done about another 2% since we relaunched without having um, done a lot of, lot of engagement. One thing that's really great about our new platform is that we can load much more easily specific sets of files uh, for people. So that if people know uh, a series of names, uh, people who attended a school, people who are on a war memorial in a particular community, uh, we can load those, uh, make those the focus of the site and have a sort of concerted effort concerted effort uh, to transcribe particular groups. And so we're, we're hoping that people in New Zealand, if you're, if you're listening, we would be great, really grateful to um, talk about opportunities to transcribe for particular communities and to put in a burst of effort uh, with you on telling the stories of uh, men uh, and some women uh, from particular communities.